This is our in-depth study of the book of Galatians. Uh, this is the eighth study, I think, since we began. Uh, we are <clears throat> just doing a few verses tonight, Galatians 3, 19 through 25. The title of our message is, Why Did God Give the Law? Just what was the reason that God gave the law from Moses? You remember he leads them out of Egypt, takes them to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. There's lightning, there's thunder. Moses meets with God. When he comes back down from the mountain, his face is shining because he's been in God's presence. Angels gave the law. So this is something pretty significant, pretty important. And, um, but why was it given when we looked last week at the covenant of Abraham? Actually, was it two? Yeah, yeah, last Wednesday night. I'm so confused now. Last Wednesday night, we looked at the covenant of Abraham and that God promised him that the Messiah was going to come through. One of his descendants was going to be the Messiah. And Abraham believed him. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. And we are saved by the promise. The same promise Abraham had of salvation is the way we are saved. We are not saved by the law. There's a real good reason for that because the law can't save you. A, a list of rules of do's and don'ts can't save you. No works can save you. Why would that be? Because you can't do enough work. You can't be good enough. It's got to be given to you. It's got to be a promise from God that he's going to give you what you need by the grace of God since none of us could deserve it. And there's no, if, if salvation could be of the law, then he would have done salvation by the law. He, Christ wouldn't have had to come. We saw that earlier in the book of Galatians that if salvation could be by the law, then Christ died in vain. Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, if it's possible, it, it, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross if it wasn't necessary, but he went to the cross because it was necessary, because no law can save you. So that does bring the question up. Why the law then? If we don't need the law to be saved, if the law can't save, if it's powerless to save, but Jesus saves to the uttermost, then why didn't we just wait until the Messiah came and then enter into the period of grace that we're in now? Why did we have to have the law? I have a subtitle. The subtitle is what purpose does the law serve? So we're gonna see that there's actually a purpose that God has for the law. It wasn't to save. And I just want to say it again. We've been saying it in our, throughout our whole study of the book of Galatians that if you are somehow thinking that you're saved by, the day, by keeping the Sabbath day, by keeping some kind of the, the meals, by uh, keeping the festivals or, the, or, 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 or some part of the law, turn away from that now. Get away from it completely. I'm not saying you can't do it because we have this enormous freedom as Christians God's given us. We, we of all people, Paul said, are the most free. Jesus said, who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. We can't help but putting rules and regulations on people. It's almost like as Christian leaders, we're like, just let me put some rules on you. I just want, you, I just want to tell you what to do. And God's like, I've given you freedom. But our great freedom has been given to us so that we could lift up Christ, so he could be glorified, so that we could do the work that God's called us to do not to use it as an occasion for the flesh, as it will say later on in the book of Galatians. Now, because Paul made it clear that we are not saved by the law, 
Let me give you just a few examples of the kind of things that Paul has said. I want to read to you the very last verse of the section before this when he's talking about the promise of Abraham. This is verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of a promise of God, uh, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So if we inherited eternity, if we inherited eternal life through the law, it would no longer be grace. It would no longer be a promise. It would be a payment. We keep the law. We do our job. We labor. We do our work. And then we get our payment from it. And if you're going to get paid compared to your payment, trust us, none of us wants that. If you think you're earning by doing something in the law, if you think you're earning something, what do you think that payment's going to be compared to the incredible grace of God that he gives us? It's going to be nothing, nothing in comparison. And it amazes me that people continually return to this false doctrine that you are saved by some kind of work, oftentimes by a portion of the law. So let me just give you, I've got five little sentences, just to kind of get a feel of what Paul said as we've been making our way through. In chapter two, verse 16, he says two things. This isn't the whole verse. This is just a couple of little statements from the verse. Knowing that a man is not, is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty straightforward. Being justified is the removal of your sin. So a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. A little bit later on in that same verse, it says, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In chapter two, verse 21, I got to have another two statements from this verse. He says, I do not set aside grace. And I love that statement. I, I will not set aside grace. Grace is undeserved favor. Why would I set aside undeserved favor for something that Robert Furrow could do that could only get a meager payment at best because I don't have what it takes to really earn something that is significant? So don't set aside grace. Paul says, I do not set aside grace. Then later on in that same verse, he says, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. That's pretty strong. And he says those kind of statements that just to make it so clear, I have one more. This one comes from Galatians 3.18. He says, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. I guess I didn't need to go back and read that verse. Find it and read it. I had it in my notes. So Paul, at this point, assumes you're asking a question. When he's, he's done all this work on Abraham and the promise of Abraham, and that's where we go back to. 1,800 years ago is our wheelhouse. Abraham was saved by faith. We are the children of Abraham. Eight, 1,800 years before Christ, 3,800 years from our time, all right, ish. And, um, but 14, uh, 3,400 years ago, God called the children of Israel out of Egypt and gave Moses the law. So he starts off in verse 19 and says, what purpose then does the law serve? If the law can't save us, if we can't get the inheritance from it, if we can't be justified by it, if we can't gain righteousness by it, then what purpose does the law serve? It says it was added because of transgressions. God gave the law to us because we have a sin nature. And part of that sin nature is pride, 
part of that sin nature is, is us not being able to, we're, we're deceived. We're not able to discover our need. And so we can easily think, I don't have a need. Even with the Ten Commandments, which tells us where we fall short, most of them, then even with those, people still think, no, I'm good enough. I, I'm, I'm good enough. I, moralism is taught at many churches as a way of salvation. Be a good person and you will make it into heaven. Those poor people are going to find out that they believed a lie because you can't be good enough. There's no way you can be good enough. And so because there's sin in the world and God had to figure out what am I going to do with this sin in the lives of people in the world while we're waiting for the Messiah. Now we know it would be 1800 or excuse me, 1400 years before Christ. So he wanted to give these, these people something to keep them kind of in check for 1400 years. That's the purpose of the law. Do you see how misused it is today if people use it for salvation? If people today teach to keep the law, if he gave it because of transgression and people are using it to try to gain favor with God, as if following the rules is going to make God go, oh, you, you do so, you've done so well. You followed the rules. That's great. It's great to follow the rules, but I think it's kind of expected when God gives them that we've done it, that we don't get an extra, who you follow the rule, you get an extra star in life. He says, it was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. We learned in our last study that God said to Abraham, one of your seed will bless all nations. This is the Messiah. And it says that in the last section. One of your seed will bless all nations, which is Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. One of your seeds will bless all nations, which is the Messiah. And so now we need, they needed the law that would be in place until the promise came through and the Messiah showed up. And it was appointed through angels by the hands of mediators. In other words, there was a gap between the promise and the Messiah. And Genesis 28, 18 tells us that. And so God had to do something within that gap. Now, there's three things that we see from this first verse, from verse 19. Number one, there's a problem. Everybody sins. Even we have sins. And the law serves us in revealing that we are sinners. I have bore false witness before. That makes me a liar. I have stolen. That makes me a thief. I have used God's name in vain. That makes me a blasphemer. I have coveted. And I don't know what that makes me. I don't know the word that there is for someone who's a, who covets, but at least I'm not content. I know that if I'm coveting. So the law told me not to do those things. And because I've done them, if I don't have Christ, where am I at? Where am I? I'm, I'm going to be condemned. And every one of us is in the same position. We all have sin. The second thing was that it says here, till the seed should come. What purpose does the law serve? This is verse 19 again. It was added because of transgression till the seed should come. That till there is until. In other words, it's not permanent. The law was given because of transgression 
until the seed would come. We're even told when the law would no longer be in fashion, when the Messiah would show up, there would be a transition. The third thing is that it was given by angels. And it was given by lightning and thunder and Moses. The really, besides John the Baptist, I would say the greatest of all the prophets. Raised in the court of Egypt, schooled in the finest schools in Egypt, raised as a warrior and as a heir to the throne of Egypt, and then delivering Israel out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, and then bringing the law, Moses. But it's really inferior. Angels bringing the law is inferior to the covenant of Abraham, which was brought by God. Remember, God passed through the halves of the animals that were separated by Abraham to make the covenant. He didn't give it to angels to make the covenant with Abraham. He did that with the law. And then God came in the form of a man in the fullness of time, Christ, and gave us the new covenant. So Abraham's covenant was given by God. The new covenant was given by God in the flesh. And the law was given by angels. Now, we might want to lift that up. Ooh, angels. I want angels to do something in my life. I see angels. But it's inferior compared to God. Remember when God said to Moses, you go on without me. I'm going to send my angel with you. And Moses said, I don't know your angel, God. And if, if you don't go with us from here, then we're not going to leave here because you wanted God. And it's always better for God to do it. And even though when you read that, it may seem like it's something significant. It was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. That mediator would be Moses. But it's not permanent. And it's inferior even in, in its giving. It's not that the law is bad. And don't get me wrong. I'm not down talking the law. The law was good. The law was right. The law was just. The law did a good job in what it was supposed to do. It was just weak in that it cannot save. It does a really good job showing me I'm a sinner. But it can't save me. It offers no salvation. Even during the time that the law was in focus, there was something to deal with sin. It was the sacrifice of animals, which Hebrews tells us the blood of, of bulls and goats can only cover sin, but the blood of Christ removes sin. It was a temporary solution through the law for them to make things right. Let me go over a few verses that I think will help us to understand this whole principle of law coming because of transgression. First of all, the law, by the law, it is the knowledge of sin. This is Romans 3, 19 and 20. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Here Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That's really good to know because we're going to see by the end of the study, you and I are not under the law anymore. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Notice the scope of that. Every mouth might be stopped and the whole world would become guilty. So yes, the people who were under the law were the ones that were subject to the things that were said. But the purpose of the law is that every mouth would be stopped 
and the whole world would know it's guilty. So the law was more than just ministering to them during that time period in that gap to the, to the Jewish people, children of Israel, but it was given to the entire world that us in Tucson would know that we're not living up to God's standards. No matter how much we try, we would know we can't because no matter how much we try, we cannot keep the law. And since we've already broken it and you break the law in one way, you've broken the whole law, you're in trouble. He goes on to say, therefore, the deep, uh, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. This is Romans. It sounds like Galatians. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We learn about sin from the law. No wonder people want to take the Ten Commandments down out of courthouses. No wonder they want to get Bibles and out of, out of hotels and out of schools. No wonder they want to get any of those things out of the way because mankind doesn't want to be reminded that they are sinners. And as we move into the last eight days where the spirit of Antichrist is growing and the mystery of lawlessness. Do you know the Bible talks about a mystery of lawlessness? And the mystery of lawlessness is taking place around the world. Then we, we need the law more than ever before so that men can know that they have a great need in their lives. The second thing here is um, Romans 7, 7. Again, this is, this is that law brings the knowledge of sin. What shall we say then? Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except for the law. I would not have known the covetousness unless the law said, thou shalt not covet. So the law brings sin. That's what God's doing with the law. He's showing the world. He's, he's shutting the mouths of anybody who says, I am good enough. I don't need God. Well, they fail the law. The law was a minister of death and condemnation. When you start looking at these passages, it, it even becomes even more surprising that there are people today that say you need to keep a portion of the law. Now, where do they get the idea you can pick and choose? I don't know. But because more surprising to me, the, the law is a ministry, means a servant, right? Minister, a servant. It's a ministry of death and condemnation. That's what the law brings. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9, it says, but if the ministry of death, this is speaking of the law, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was, uh, was passing away. So that's pretty amazing. The law was given and engraved on stones and it was glorious. And then it says, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? If the ministry of death was glorious, how much more glorious will the ministry of the spirit be? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So the law, ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, and yet it had glory. How much more glorious is our salvation than the law? When you compare the law to the grace of God, the grace of God shines far brighter than the law shines. But the law wasn't bad. But this is what its purpose was. The law diagnoses the problem, but can't cure it. The law knows, reveals to us that we have sin, but it, but it can't cure us. This is Galatians 3, 10 and 11. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the book of the law. You want to be under the law. If you can't keep it all, you put yourself under a curse to do them. And that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. No one is justified by the law. Again, I'll give you Hebrews. The law is good, but the law is weak in that it cannot save. J. Vernon McGee used this analogy years ago. I've worn this analogy out, but I'll continue to wear it out. He said, may I say to you, my friends, the law is like a mirror. You get up in the morning and you look in the mirror. I look in the mirror, it's like, you know, and I'm like, all right, I got to do something. Even if I'm hanging around the house, comb my hair down, my hairspray on it, puff it down just to try to, you know, be halfway presentable around the house. The mirror showed me, but the mirror can do nothing to help me. I can't go rub against the mirror, flatten my hair out. I can't wash my face to get, you know, whatever the problem is. Like the mirror can't trim my eyelashes when they're like, Rrr. the mirror can show you your problems, but you need, you need more stuff. That's guys, we need a razor. We need some scissors to trim some ear hairs that start growing out like wild. We just, you know, we need, and you gals, I don't even know what you need. I just haven't figured it out yet. But you gals need a lot of stuff and look good after it's all done, but you need a lot of stuff. So Jesus can cleanse us, can correct what the law, the mirror revealed. Jesus helps us. And the rest of J. Vernon McGee's analogy was Jesus is the wash pot. That's kind of an old term. You know, he was a PhD. You listen to him talk and you think, may I say to you, Jesus was a wash pot. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate that. We are no longer under the law. This is really important. It says in Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I know I keep coming back to that, but because this teaching is so prevalent, we need to know it and understand that they're ignoring many, many passages in the Bible that say that we are not under the law. In verse 20 of our text, we're told that the law cannot save. Again, it's, it can't do it. It says in verse 20, now a mediator does not mediate for one, but God is one. Speaking of Moses being the mediator, there was one Moses and he mediated for the people. But God is one and we now know that there is no mediator between us and God, but the man, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator to God, he himself being God. And then it says, is the law then against the promise of God? The promise made to Abraham that you were going to be saved by faith and that the descendant, him, one of his descendants was going to come as the Christ. Was that promise neglect, negated by the law? Did the law come in and mess that promise up? He says, certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have come by the law. I sure hope you got your Bible and underline the things. Because next time you run into a legalist who wants it, you just go, hey, let me, let me just go to Galatians 3. I got a few things underlined I want to show you. If a, law, if a law could be given that could save, then he would have given it. But since Christ came and died, then no law could save us. We are indeed dead to the law. And I like this passage. It's Romans 7, 1 through 4. 
It gives an analogy first, and then it gives the principle. It says, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who, are, who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not a, no adulteress, though she has married another man. But there's the analogy. When a husband dies, the woman is free because the death of the husband has freed her to remarry. Now, here's what it goes on to say. Therefore, my brethren, you who, uh, excuse me, there, uh, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. You died to the law through Christ. You are dead and the law has no dominion over you. He says that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, who should bear fruit to God. So we are not under the law because we're dead to the law. We're dead. We died in Christ. In verse 22, he says, but the scripture has confirmed all under sin. This is why the law was given. That has confined all under sin. Kind of means trapped, right? Confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe very clear. I mean, literally, there are over a hundred verses in the New Testament that tell you that you are saved by faith and not by works. That, that say that we are saved by faith. Jesus said it. The disciples in Acts said it. They said it in the epistles. There are literally over a hundred of them that say what this tells us, that we might be those who believe and uh, who believe. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Now we're learning the purpose of the law. The law was like a guard. Now it's talking to religious people. He's talking to, to these people who want to be Jewish. And he says, you were kept under guard by the law until Christ came. Then he says, kept by faith, kept for the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. So the law kept you as a guard so that you could have faith in the future. And now they're not receiving the faith. They want to go back under the law. And Paul's amazed at that. He says in verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor. The word tutor there is teacher. And they had teachers that wealthy people would anyway. They would, they would hire teachers that would come and be with their kids during the day and, and tutor them. So the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That's the purpose of the law, to, con to reveal that everyone is under sin, to show you you need help, and to bring you to Christ. That's what the law wants to, that's what the law does. And that's why the law is good. The law can't do what, you, what people think it can do, but it's good because it brings me to Christ. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Again, not by the law. So it was just a tutor. It just watched over us. Finally, it says in verse 25, 
And here's an underlinable verse. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. You don't need that tutor now. If, if you're the parent and there's a tutor watching your kid during the day and you go pick them up, the tutor doesn't go, do you want me to come home with you? Continue to watch the kid? You're like, no, we're fine. Leave us alone. Creepy. Go away. <laughs> Galatians 5.18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Romans 7.6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Again, it could not be any clearer or any more apparent. So the law says you deserve death and you deserve condemnation. That's the only way the law can answer. The law can't answer any other way. You say, but I, I've been really good. But have you been 100% good? If you've been a really good person, really good, you could, be, you could be the best person on earth, the very best. And the law could say death and condemnation to the best person on earth because the best person on earth can't live up to the law. That's all the law can say. You can boast on what you've done, how much you've given to people, how you've helped people who are poor. You can do all kinds of things, but all the law can tell you is death and condemnation. That's it. That's why if you are tempted to get back under the law, get untempted. Because all it can bring is death and condemnation. But Christ brings no condemnation. John 3, 17. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He told the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. That's our Savior. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Even ourselves. Even our own failures. Nothing. He loves you. When you think you're not loved by Him, He loves you. And nothing can separate you from that. The law answers death and condemnation and Jesus answers grace and mercy if you go to Christ. What a radical difference. Apart from Christ, I am dead. May it be that we would learn and know the purpose of the law because then we won't conflate it with salvation. And that's the crazy part. The law was meant to show you you're in trouble and you need Christ so that you would be like the tax collector that wouldn't come close to the altar and say, Lord, help me. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. And that Christ would forgive you because you see the need in your life. And if there is any of you here today that still think that you're OK. Then compare yourself to the law. Don't compare yourself to other people. There's always people who will be better. There's always people who will be worse. But compare yourself to the law that you may discover your need and receive Christ. Don't be like the Pharisee that stood next to the altar and bragged about the things that he was doing, which could never save him. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of these men left forgiven and the other one not. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again as we make our way through this passage. 
so incredibly powerful to look at all of these verses that tell us that the law is weak, that the law is a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation, that the law can never save, that the law wants to shut the mouth of the world so they can't boast in their own goodness, that the law reveals sin, that's the purpose of the law, and that the law was a guardian to bring us to Christ. It like kept sin under check to bring us to Christ so that we would know there was a problem until we came to Christ who could bring us life. And we thank you for this. Pray that we would continue to learn these incredible truths. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.